0: If you've ever wanted to find out what the deal really is with gut health without getting swept up in the BS and the marketing, then you're gonna get a hell of a lot out of this episode. Cut. What's up guys, welcome back to the Wipe Up Podcast where each and every episode it's all about helping you level up your movement and mindset and this episode we're gonna add gut health to that list because my guest today is none other than Dave O'Brien. Dave O'Brien is a personal trainer and wellness coach from Melbourne, Australia with over 25 years in the game spent countless hours and also a small fortune working with and learning from the most knowledgeable experts in their field including charles poliquin Ido portal wim Hof, james laval reed davis just to name a few this episode really is a comprehensive deep dive into what the gut actually is and how it really affects our health in the real world there's so much misunderstanding and if you're anything like me you've tried to do some research online and you keep coming up around all this misinformation and Dave's a really breath of fresh air in this space because while he is absolutely and undeniably an expert and he doesn't shy away from complexity, Dave also just provides some really useful frameworks and analogies to help make all the complex stuff around gut health much more simple and digestible. Pardon the pun. (laughs) You're gonna get a ton out of this one, that was so bad. You're gonna get a ton out of this one, so without any further ado, please welcome my guest, Dave O'Brien. First of all just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. We made it here. We made it on Zoom. So, thanks for being here. man, first of all.
1: No, look, it's it's always my honor. Like any any time that someone wants to sit down and have a chat with me. I mean, once again it would've been nice to do it in person. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's it's been a work in progress, but we've we've got there. But it's always my honor to uh to to talk to anyone who, you know, uh wants to sort of pick my brains and 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 just you know oh, that that's what I consider myself to be. You know, like some people might say you're a wellness coach or whatever that might be, but what I really consider myself to be is like an educator. Um, yeah. And and you know, me personally, I think uh, I uh, one aspect that I don't really like in modern society, and I'm I'm sort of a little bit fed up with, is that the fact that we just keep on treating uh, people like children okay and what yeah. I, what i mean by that is we go oh it's too complex for them to understand so we'll really dumb it down and we'll spoon feed them like children i just don't do that um because i i don't believe you know people are children yeah okay and what we need to do is we really need to educate them around like how the body works okay um you know you know females should understand their cycle back to front yeah okay men should understand you know how do i how do i make sure my testosterone levels are really good yeah okay like you know, it shouldn't be me that just understands this. It should be the general population that that understand this. And once we and once we educate people on this, okay, straight away you empower them. Okay, there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, education is empowering. So I'm not a coach, yeah. Like I'm I'm an educator. I'm just giving people the information so they actually understand how important these things are. It's so it's so important because I think the more
0: that we spoon feed people and the more that we kind of give people simplistic answers to very complex problems the less that's going to incentivize people to actually go and learn about what it is. And I, I I personally think that we each have a right to understand very deeply about how to make our body look, move, and feel the way that we want it to optimally. We have the means now. We have the access to education. It's just something getting crossed in the messaging because we're still, you know, I think as a wider society, receiving some really shitty messaging about what it does take to, you know, first of all, how we should want to look, and then, and then second of all, you know, how what it takes to get a body that moves and feels the way that you want to. So, And I think that's why long-form content like this is really great because you kind of get to really deeply dive into something. But before we get too deep into it, I kind of wanted to take you back or want you to take me back to a kind of inflection point in your career. I remember you were working as a personal trainer a little bit earlier in your career and you reached a point where you, I guess, recognized some of the limitations around what you could achieve inside the walls of the gym. And that sent you on a bit of a process and a bit of a travel overseas and, and, and learning from a bunch of different people from all around the world some industry experts. So I'd love to kind of go back to that stage and find out what catalyzed those realizations, what they were, and then what happened next.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in there. But, you know, for me, like, I, like, I, I just feel so blessed. I've had so many, like, like pivotal moments in my life. Mm. Um, and I always say to people, like, some of the most pivotal moments in my life, in that actual moment in time, were some of the most horrific moments in my life. Okay, yeah. like and a you know, big point that I want to get across to people is like, you know, um, you can't you can't reach enlightenment without going through the darkness first. Okay, and yeah. and 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 for me, like I look back on it now, and I just go, wow, that was in the moment. It was like really horrific. Yeah, okay, but then I just feel so blessed to have gone through that. Okay. And, it, and and like it just molded me into the person that I am today. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So without those experiences, like I wouldn't be sitting in front of you talking about, you know, physiology, physiology and gut health and all these and all these types of things. Okay. So and it's the same thing with like people that I've encountered from an education perspective. Okay. Because a lot of people, maybe when they encounter me, for example, okay, because I do I'm very analytical. Okay, I'm very technical, sure. and 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 you know when I'm really talking about something that I'm passionate about, I get more technical as my default. Okay, <laughs> but it's only because I like I, I love it so much and I want to help yeah. people so much. Okay, but actually, when I've learned from some of you know, I believe some of the most influential people, definitely in my life. Okay, um, but they overwhelm me; they completely overwhelm me. Okay, like actually, one of my one of my mentors. Now I would say that you know love him or hate him, okay. He, uh, uh, you know a strength and conditioning coach called, called Charles Poliquin. Unfortunately, okay. he's passed away. Um, but you, he 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 really shifted my mindset. Uh, and 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 my encounter with Charles, um, which basically when I did like a, one of his courses, a five day course, um, it's called Bio Signature, and he really dived quite heavily. You know, like because personal training was. Maybe back in those days, we've seen you're a little bit more like a motivator, and you know a rep yes. counter, and have glorified, a glorified yeah, thing, like yeah. a glorified glorified rep counter, and so forth. And yes. and when I did this sort of five day my signature course with Charles, you know, he was talking about like detoxification and adrenal health, and you know stress management, and you know like all all, all, all these aspects that most of the time in in the personal training realms. We're not We're not taught or, or we're not even taught to consider. And for yep. me, like just doing that five days, like I was just completely overwhelmed with the information. Like I actually took like an entire book and I've still got that book today. Okay. A little bit like a trophy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And I just took an entire book worth of notes. And I remember it's like a real pivotal moment in my life because um, as I said, there's a lot of things that I learned from Charles that I don't necessarily agree with today. that's not taking, because the most important thing for me was the experience, okay? Like that encounter with Charles was one of the most pivotal for me, okay? Because at that moment of being overwhelmed and realizing I didn't know anything, it motivated me to get better. So a lot of people, you know, they think being overwhelmed is a negative. And me personally, I think being overwhelmed just, for me, motivates me to understand, well, you know what? I don't know as much as I should and I'm more motivated to grow and learn. So, you know, one thing I'd say to listeners is there's nothing wrong with being overwhelmed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of time when I'm helping people with their health issues and so forth, they're overwhelmed. Yeah. They're overwhelmed. They go, Oh my God, this is a lot. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't realize it was so serious and I go, it's okay. It's okay to be overwhelmed because it does create conflict in the brain. Okay, And when it does create conflict in the brain, it also creates change. Okay, And that's what a lot of people need. They need to be motivated to change. Okay, And I, I'm fine with that if I just plant that seed, at least create the conflict. And if that means they don't end up working with me, but at least I planted the seed where it's created conflict and then maybe further down the line, when they hear that message again, they're willing to do something about it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so that's what I'd say. Like that encounter with Charles just made me realize, okay, like as a personal trainer, I'm, I'm abiding by you know a, a partic- particular method and ideology that I've learned, but it doesn't necessarily result in the in the best outcomes for the individuals that I'm dealing with, okay? Because it's 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 yeah. just it's just one particular way of thinking, and the, and the reality is you need to be a lot more lateral thinking. Okay, you, you need to learn so many different concepts and so many different ideologies. Okay, like, you know, a big thing for me is I, I do look at people's blood markers, I look at them, look at their internal environment, yeah, okay, and I'm looking at the correlations and the, and the, and, and the trends, yeah, okay. Um, and if I've only ever been taught like a particular way of like looking at that, you're very, very limited in actually how you can help someone. You're very, very, 100%. you're very, very blinkered. OK, um, and, 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 and that's my approach has always been to, you know, even, even when I'm looking at blood markers, like people go, oh, so you're more down the functional medicine realms. And I go, well, not, not really. <laughs> There's actually a lot of things that I disagree with in the functional medicine realms. OK, so I'm actually looking at a lot of medical research papers. Yes, I'm looking at functional medicine aspects, OK, but I'm not just going here and just staying in this lane. I'm also going over here because I need to understand that. Okay, like the, for me, you 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 you've got to be willing, okay, to look at things that maybe you you don't actually gravitate towards. Okay, it doesn't mess, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to one hundred percent agree with it. Okay, but you have to be willing to at least learn about it. That's such a powerful <laughs> learning mindset,
0: I think, and that that's part of the advantage. Of, I think what makes you such an interesting practitioner in this health and wellness space because of this kind of 360 degree, very, you know, holistic in the true sense of the term, not holistic in the the kind of current vogue sense of the term, in truly being willing to look at many, many different disciplines and fill gaps between them, take what appears to be working in one and then apply it to another one and say, okay, here's what translates, here's what doesn't, here's what these two things seem to be conflicting. To be able to hold that, and like you said, to be uncomfortable even if that feels, or to be overwhelmed, even if that feels really uncomfortable. It's not a pleasant sensation going through your body, but that ending up being a massively formative, uh, I guess, part of your career that took you from maybe what a, what a more traditional personal trainer would have been, or would still be today, you know what I mean? And more into this far more nuanced approach of things. And I think that the, the uncomfortable thing is so important because you mentioned, there being that overwhelmed people, oh, I didn't know it was that serious. And I think part of the difficulty with figuring out what's going on with the body is not, there's not always a smoking gun. If, I, if I'm experiencing pain in my hip, you know, it could be because of biomechanics problem in, in my foot, or it could have been originating in the workplace and, and stress and under recovery. Or if I'm if I'm struggling with mental health, it can be because, you know, actually there's some gut dysfunction. And I think that's part of why it's really difficult to diagnose, or self-diagnose at least, you know, what's going on, oh, you know, yeah. it seems like there should be a one-to-one solution and there's not. So if you were to take, you know, this is, I'm, I'm not a doctor, don't play one on the on the internet, <laughs> but at the same time, if you were to give someone, you know, kind of the bare bones essential of why gut health is so important, why it so massively affects not only the way that we feel, but also the way that we visually look on the outside, our mental health, and why it's such a key kind of focus. If the bare bones essential to someone that, you know, completely new to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the gut health um, is something that, like, I'm just so passionate about. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about it is because I actually think for the high majority of the population, it's like the missing link Yeah, okay. to, to their health. Yeah, okay. And whilst there's a lot of information out there, there's a lot of misinformation, okay? And there's, and the, and there's also not a lot of good communication around it, Okay. Because, I'll, and I'll put it this way, okay? I, like a, a big concept that I'm really trying to preach to people is that their underlying gut issues are forcing them into extreme nutritional outlines, okay? And so, I'll give you some examples here, okay? So, for example, if I have particular issues within the stomach line, okay? And so, let's say I'm producing, you know, lower levels of hydrochloric acid or gastric acid, Okay? And so for for the listeners that, that don't know what hydrochloric acid is, okay, hydrochloric acid, you release it from the stomach lining, okay, so you release it from the paratel cells, so they're a type of epithelium in your stomach lining, okay, and the role of that hydrochloric acid, okay, is to help you to produce like enzymes like pepsinogen and pepsin, okay, to allow you to take protein, large chains of protein, and then break it down into smaller chains of protein separate the lipids from the protein, okay? Separate B12 from protein, okay? But also, you know, hydrochloric acid is antimicrobial. So it stops bacteria proliferating in the stomach lines, really, really vital roles, okay? There's more than that, okay? But I'm going to leave it there, okay? (laughs) All right. But the way I want you to look at it, if you have issues producing sufficient amounts of hydrochloric acid, so maybe you're highly stressed, you're a chest breather, okay? Maybe you get back to your overgrowth, so you get things like H. pylori, Helicobacter overgrowth in the stomach lining. Okay. And that affects the acidifying effects of the hydrochloric acid. Maybe you don't have enough of the building blocks to allow you to produce sufficient amounts of hydrochloric acid. So it might be things like bicarbonate, chloride, vitamin B1, like thiamine, vitamin E, zinc. Okay. Because you need a lot of the building blocks. And that's where it's going wrong for a lot of people. They just think like the, it's like uh, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory in their body. Okay, I say this all the time, but people just really do think that I, I just produce it. I go, no, you don't just produce it. You've got to have the building blocks for it. Yeah, okay, so if I've got these types of issues and I'm producing, you know, low stomach acid, can can even have things like histamine intolerance. Yeah, okay, these types of issues and I'm producing low stomach acid. Okay, well, if I'm producing low stomach acid, what food group am I going to be off put by the thought of eating? Animal protein okay so you know it it made me make me feel sick i don't break it down very efficiently okay i Mm. get gut distinction okay so i get discomfort when i eat it okay and then people would perceive that as intuition they go well intuitively i i you know you know i don't do well with animal protein makes me feel sick and i go i don't know if that's intuition okay it could be a false sense of intuition and actually guess what the state of your gastrointestinal lining okay means you do not interact with the animal protein very well but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't need it it's really important that people yeah. people need to get the foundation right okay because if it's forcing you into a false intuition and then you're you're eliminating and you're taking out foods okay because of the gastrointestinal problems it's forcing you into a more precarious position Because you're having like nutrient deficiencies and so forth doesn't mean you don't need the food. Okay, so those people with those types of issues, what type of nutritional outline are they going to be forced more into? Well, plant based, vegan, vegetarian. I'm not, and I I would. I want to make it clear, I'm not having a go at that. Yeah. Does it make sense? But I'm just, I'm getting people to open up their minds to understand: is that the reason that I'm I actually feel better in that particular nutritional outline? But that doesn't necessarily mean. You need to stay on that for the rest of your life. Okay. Because I would say, what do you need to fix? What do you need to fix? You need to fix your gut health. You need to fix, like, the H. pylori potentially. You need to fix the reason you don't produce enough hydrochloric acid. But I don't want to just demonize that side. Okay. Because let's go to the other side. Okay. Sure, yeah. And the other side is what happens if I've got fermentation issues in areas like the small intestine? Okay. And so, if I've got those fermentation issues like gut motility issues, so there's damage to those little epithelium, those little mucosal cells. Yeah. Okay. I've got damage to the enteric nervous system. So, that's the communication between the gut and the brain. You know, one key element that makes up the enteric nervous system is the vagus nerve. And that controls the release of the food from the stomach into the small intestine. So, all these things contribute to poor motility there. Okay. So, then I just don't churn the food properly. Okay, and so that means I've got fermentation issues, which means foods that that will ferment for a longer period of time, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's normal, okay, because they're like food for the microbiome. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. But if I've got the motility issues, and then the foods come in that do sit there and ferment for a longer period of time, so certain sugars, okay, a lot of, like a lot of vegetable fibers, a lot of fruit fibers, and a lot of carbohydrate molecules. We need to understand this doesn't mean they're bad, okay. But carbohydrates, fruit fibers, vegetable fibers, they're going to sit there and ferment for a longer period of time. Despite what people think, because a lot of people go, well, meat sits there and ferments for a long That's not true. Yeah, okay. You don't see meat and you don't see fats in a low FODMAP outline. Okay? So if they sat there and they fermented for a long period of time, they would obviously be in a low FODMAP outline. They are not. Yeah, okay. So If I've got those fermentation issues and a lot of those fermentation issues are linked to digestive complications like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So they say about like 70% of all IBS symptoms, irritable bowel syndrome, okay, which a lot of people are experiencing, okay, are SIBO. The other 30% is like microbiome imbalances, intestinal permeability, like damage to the gut lining. Okay, so if we've got these fermentation issues, Okay, what foods am I really going to struggle to deal with? And once again, they're going to give me a lot of bloating, a lot of gas. Yeah, okay. They're going to probably affect my energy systems. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to feel tired and exhausted. Yeah, okay. Well, it's going to be a lot of carbohydrate molecules, vegetable fibers and fruit fibers. So what type of nutritional outline am I going to be more geared towards? A carnivore outline. Okay, because once again, you know, more animal proteins and animal fats are not going to sit there and ferment for a long period of time. Which means I'm giving myself relief. Does that make sense? So I'm producing mm. less gases. There's less inflammatory load taking place in the gastrointestinal tract. And then once again, people—you know—carnivore outline is a very, very growing outline. Okay, and so what I'm what I'm saying here, okay, is we, we all of a sudden there's these massive extremes that are happening. And I'm not saying that some people don't epigenetically and ancestrally and so forth do better with a little bit more plant-based. Not saying that at all. okay. And I'm not saying that the the same things epigenetically and ancestrally and so forth that a lot of people don't do very well on more animal protein and animal fats. But I would say that they're a smaller proportion. And the higher majority is sitting in here. And maybe it means maybe it means you need a little bit more like plant-based, but you need some animal protein, or maybe you need a little bit more animal protein and a little bit of like plant matter, okay? But there's a big majority sitting somewhere in the middle, okay? And it just depends on the individual whether you're more down this end or you're more down that end. But if you've got the gastrointestinal issues, you'll have to avoid certain foods because guess what? It's giving you gastrointestinal distress, okay? And does that make sense? And so then people- It does,
0: it, does. it really does make sense. I think it's such an important point that I, I don't hear this perspective at all. To I think so often when you hear about people talking about nutrition or what the next thing in nutrition is or ne- you know, the next best thing, it's always kind of like you're making people walk through a minefield. We're just trying to see all of the places that we can't step all of the things that we can't have and if we just get the perfect combination that excludes all the things that we can never, ever, ever have, then I'll be healthy and then I'll find the thing that works best for me. But if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that yes, maybe initially there will be specific conditions inside your gut that will make it difficult for you to process certain types of foods That does not mean that you don't need those certain types of foods, but it just means that currently there's something in your body or in your lifestyle that's contributing to you not being able to process those things efficiently and giving you some kind of stress. So perhaps immediate, you know, like triage, you gotta avoid it in the short term, but making a plan for some kind of gut repair so that you can heal that environment and so that you can tolerate a wide variety of foods because we as humans, as omnivorous creatures, need such a wide variety of nutrients in order to make those building blocks for our bodies to
1: function correctly. Is that kind of would you say that's a fair summary of what it's, you just yeah, said? It's, um, a, it's a great summary. I mean, it's really important for people to understand that elimination may be a necessary tool initially to reduce the inflammatory load. So I'm not yeah. taking away from that, okay? Yeah. But just understand once again, just as as an example, okay, if you have something like SIBO, okay, and something like a nutritional outline that is geared towards SIBO is low fodmap. Okay. Now, of course, if I take away the foods that generally sit there and ferment for a longer period of time, is that going to give me relief to a a, a gastrointestinal problem like SIBO? Yes. Okay. But then people get the relief and they go, "Oh, just stay here." Yeah. I go, "Well, that's you understand, low FODMAP does not fix SIBO." Okay. Mm. Like so, it's 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 like being on a like a tightrope. Okay, as long as you're on the tightrope, you're all good. Okay, but as soon as you put one foot to the right, one foot to the left, okay, you, yeah, you're gonna, so it's you, almost like you're gonna you've get got left. You've
0: got pain in your left foot, and so you decide to hop on your right foot for the rest of your life rather than address <laughs> exactly that, you know what I mean. Exactly.
1: So. Okay, it's not it's not correcting the SIBO. Low FODMAP. These elimination outlines. Okay, they do not fix the SIBO. Okay, and the same thing if you're switching to a carnivore because you've got like fermentation issues. Okay. Um, you know, and you, you you've got like things like SIBO. Okay, the carnivore outline is going to give you a lot of relief. I'm not taking away from that 100. Like people with autoimmune diseases, fermentation yeah. issues in the gut, they're going to get a lot of relief with that particular nutritional outline. But the real problem here is that the SIBO still exists. Okay, the st- the SIBO Absolutely. still exists. Okay, and a lot of the byproducts that the SIBO is releasing into your system. Okay. They are going to cause problems further down the line, and they are linked to serious health ailments. That's That's just the reality here, okay? And you look at a lot of the things that, like, people start reacting poorly to, okay? You know, people start reacting poorly to things like lactose, okay? Well, you know, lactase, which is the enzyme that helps you break down lactose, these little epithelium and these little mucosal cells that I'm talking about, okay, the lactase is produced within the epithelium. Okay, so yeah. if the epithelium is compromised, okay, could that affect your ability to produce sufficient amounts of lactase to help you to break down the lactose? Because a lot of people, when they were younger, may not have had the problems with the lactose, yeah? Okay, and as they got older, yeah. all of a sudden now they go, I'm lactose intolerant. Okay, well, are you really lactose intolerant? Okay, or have you deteriorated, deteriorated the gut lining? Therefore, you don't release sufficient amounts of the enzymes to help you to break down certain glucose molecules. Okay, and that can be things like sucrose to help you to break down sucrose, maltase to help help you to break down maltose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, if sure. that structure is deteriorated, and that's probably something what I really want to talk about. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the the structure, or the terrain is so important. Now mm-hmm. you know I'm not saying the terrain is any more important than you know the microbiome. Okay, but we need both. Can you, can you quickly explain the difference between the terrain and the microbiome, the gut? <laughs> Yeah, so like the, the, one of the big things I want to get across to the listeners, yeah, okay, like this is an ecosystem in here. This is an ecosystem. And like one of the analogies that I always use with people, yeah, okay, imagine we had like a forest. That's an ecosystem, okay, and within within the forest, okay, you've got the trees, you've got the bushes, you've got the grass, you've got the soil, yeah, okay, and then within that, you know, within that structure, that structure, yeah, okay, then you've got the animals, Okay, and you've got the animals that live in the trees and the bushes and the canopy, okay? And then you've got the microbes that live in the soil and the grass, and you've got the insects that live within the grass. And, and this is the ecosystem, mm-hmm. okay? We need to understand that the gastrointestinal tract, so the epithelium, which is the biggest protective physical barrier in the human body, okay? And it is just tissue, it's type 1 collagen, okay? So it's not some sort of indestructible object. Okay, it's not made of corrugated iron. It's not made of steel. Okay, it's just tissue. And type one collagen is the same thing that makes up like tendons, ligaments, cartilage, bone, muscle, okay? So essentially the epithelium and the gastrointestinal line is just like a muscle. You've got contractile proteins in there, epithelium actin, okay? So that's the structure. So we're gonna say that's the trees. That's the trees and the bushes. That's the structure, okay? And within that, we're made up of like 100 trillion bacteria. Okay, like I'm not gonna bore people to tears with every single type of bacteria, but you've got bacteria in there that have a particular job. Okay, and we need to understand with the microbiome. Okay, you've got a balance between your good bacteria and your bad bacteria. Let's not demonize the bad bacteria, which we're doing. Because as soon as I say, you know, something like E. coli to people, people go, oh, E. coli bad. I go, no. It's got no a function. it's got to function. Yeah, okay. And I'd like to see how you're going to function without E. coli. Okay, because the E. coli, because there's pathogenic strains. I'm not taking away from that. But guess what? Most of the E. coli is good, and you have the highest proportion of like, you know, that makes up the bacteria in the large intestine is E. coli. Mm. Okay, and you can't absorb vitamin K. You need To absorb vitamin K, you need E. coli. To help with the synthesis of biotin, vitamin B7, which helps with blood sugar management, you need E. coli. Okay, to actually help with folate, B9, you need E. coli to help with the synthesis of it, okay? To help with CoQ10, which, helped, which helps to shuttle free fatty acids into the cell for energy, okay? For fat mobilization, okay, you need E. coli. To help with the metabolization of glycine, which is the second most abundant amino acid in the body, or should be, yeah, okay? And, and you, you actually need the glycine for heme and hemoglobin. Okay. E. coli helps you metabolize glycine. The list goes on to protect you from osteopenia, osteoporosis, you need E. coli, okay? So if I've educated people and their perception around E. coli is negative, they actually, like, look at, look at all the things that I've listed, and that's not all of it. That's how important E. coli is, okay? So people really need to understand, and even when it comes to modulating things like hormones, that's your microbiome. Okay, when it comes to the chemical conversion processes to enable you to produce things like neurotransmitters, that's your microbiome. Okay, so we need to understand like, you know, certain types of bacteria, their job, I use, I use one example, there's a type of bacteria called Oxalobacter formigenes. The role of that bacteria is to help you to break down excess amounts of oxalates that you get from foods. Okay, and a, lo- a lot of the, f- the foods that are very, very high in oxalates. Okay, so I'm not demonizing the oxalates here, it's just normal. Okay, you just, get these mo- you, just, you just get these compounds from the foods, but that would be things like turnip greens, you know, almonds, uh, you know, spinach and kale to a smaller extent, sweet potato, cacao, okay, all these things are very high in oxalates. And the role of the oxalobacter formagenes is to help you to break down the excess amounts of oxalates so you don't have too many oxalates in the system does that make sense because if you've got yeah. too many oxalates in the system they start binding to minerals that you do want like magnesium right, okay. potassium sodium okay and they bind to things like calcium they form like calcium oxalate and if that's happening too much because you don't have enough of the oxalobacter former genes okay then you could get calcium deposits in the little filters in your kidneys and that would cause kidney stones Okay, and so like the the the, the point that I'm getting across here, you can see like there's this this ecosystem and this balance is very very important to actually help to to balance out all the ratios. Does that make sense? And you take something out, okay, and would it be fair to say in that forest if you took something out, it's going to affect the balance? Mm -hmm. And it's no different with this ecosystem. The the example that I would give people is if I took that forest, okay, and then I went through with a bulldozer and bulldoze all the trees down, okay? Is that going to affect the the ecosystem and the balance, okay? So the animals that really need the trees and the canopy and the, and, and the bushes, is that going to affect their ratios? Now, let's say that's the good bacteria. That's what they need. So all of a sudden, we affect the ratio. Does that make sense? And is that going yeah. to affect yeah. things like your neurotransmitters, your hormones, your ability to synthesize certain micronutrients of course it is we need them does that make sense okay yeah yeah so and then is there going to be certain animals in that environment that can take advantage of the compromised environment because they've got nothing to keep them in check they've got nothing to keep right, them in balance yeah. and that yeah. would be your opportunistic bacteria it doesn't mean we don't need them it doesn't mean they're all bad but just like we see pests in the environment okay if you take out certain predators and you take and you create an environment that's you know perfect for them to flourish they'll just do that does that make sense and then we have a high proliferation of those animals and in this instance in the gastrointestinal tract we have a high proliferation of opportunistic bacteria and the problem there is the opportunistic bacteria release these byproducts into your system and those byproducts cause more damage to the gut lining and unfortunately a lot of those byproducts cause you know blood sugar management dysregulation and they'll cause things like neuroinflammation and they're linked to a lot of neurodegenerative diseases okay so you so the, the, the way i want people to look at this like environmental issue so when we're faced with this environmental issue okay one one method that we tried to use to solve that environmental issue okay and this would be something like antibiotics You increase your rate of depression or your chances of your rate of depression by about 25% when you take antibiotics, okay? Because the way we need to understand it, like if I'm saying that you need certain microbiome to actually help you with the the chemical conversion processes for neurotransmitters, and then I put like a nuclear bomb in there that just blows up everything, okay? So yes, it might get rid of the opportunistic bacteria. I'm not taking away from that, but it's also going to wipe out the good bacteria. So in this instance, yes, it wipes out the the, the the animals that have taken advantage of the compromised environment, but it's also going to wipe out the animals that live in the, or, or trying to come back to live in the, the canopy and the trees and the bushes, it just wipes out everything. And if anything was growing, okay, new vegetation, it just wiped that out as well. So there's a lot of collateral right. damage with that. Okay. So the antibiotics damage the structure. Okay, and the argument I always use with people, okay, that structure is is the home for the microbiome. That's their home. Okay, so that's one method we've used, and the other method is functional medicine. So I'm not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just say it's modern medicine where this is a flawed approach. Okay, because in functional medicine, we might assess it, and then we're still focusing on the opportunistic animals. Okay, and the opportunistic bacteria. And we go, okay, well, I'll just use a less aggressive nuclear bomb. So you will use herbal, whether it's oregano oil or whatever that might be, sweet wormwood. Yeah, okay. And I'm not saying, you know, sometimes I use these things, but it's what I'm having a go at here is the approach. Yeah. Not the absolutely. oregano oil and not the <laughs> yeah. herbarine. I'm not having a go at those things. Okay. But it's the approach. Okay. And so we go in there and we apply. A less aggressive nuclear bomb, but there is also going to be a little bit collateral damage. Okay, mm-hmm. so if, even though they're herbal, okay, these antimicrobials can have a negative effect on your your good bacteria, your bifidobacterium and your lactobacillus. Okay, and then what we do once we've wiped out, you know, the the opportunistic bacteria or the the animals that have taken advantage of that compromised environment, okay, then we just put more animals back that flourish in the trees and the bushes. We put more of them back in. Okay, And the issue here is they don't have an environment. They don't have any trees. They don't have any bushes. Okay, So it's going to be very short-lived because they'll do the best they can, but it's going to be short-lived to how well they're going to be able to flourish in that environment.
0: This is a brilliant analogy, and I think that it, it's really – because this is not something I'm an expert on in the slightest, but this really helped me understand – the when people talk about the microbiome and 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 thing and the gut in general, because I think from you know to kind of summarize back to what you're saying, is that when you talk about the terrain and when you talk about the microbiome, the terrain being the structural integrity, the the like you said, made of type 1 collagen, the, the tissue that the things that are responsible, like the, like the trees and the canopy where the animals live, the animals being the microbiome, the bacteria that each have these specific roles and functions even the good, even the bad, all, and it's the balance of everything that keeps the body functioning in ways that have real flow-on consequences into how we feel, into our health, into our immunity, into all of these different things. Take one away, and and people often be like, oh, okay, well, now I'm lactose intolerant, or I'm this or I'm that. It's It's purely that one of the workers, something in there has been taken away. That role is not being filled now. So it's not a matter of identity. It's a matter of something going on in this ecosystem. And then that being a flow on effect and getting things
1: getting getting out of balance. Is that, am I I on the right track here or am I completely up? No, no, 100%. I mean, like it's, you know, the way that the way I would look, get people to look at that environmental issue, okay, is logically if we were looking at an environment, we go, well, there's no trees and there's no bushes and these animals can't really flourish in this environment what would we do would plant more trees okay so if we take that to the gut environment and it's the structure that is compromised i need to look after the structure i ne- yeah. i need to look after the epithelium and that's the terrain because my, my my big argument is if the terrain is compromised and all i keep on doing is focusing on the animals Okay? It's like saying in the environment that the animals are more important than the trees and the bushes. And what I'm saying is they're both important. But if you only focus on one, you can't fix the ecosystem. And we, we have focused on this to nauseating extent. Yeah. Nauseating extent, okay? Probiotics, prebiotics. And I'm not, I'm not having to go at these things. Once again, I, I use them. Yeah. But I don't neglect this, okay? Because what people need to understand is, did you just wake up one day and you had SIBO? For no reason, you just woke up, oh, I've got SIBO. There's a reason the SIBO flourished, okay? We, and we need to understand what is that reason that it flourished? You just get it for no reason. There's, there, there, there's, there, Like if you've got like candida overgrowth, SIFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, okay? Even if you get a parasite, Okay. I would actually argue is the parasite the big problem here? Because there's evidence to show in certain, you know, tribes like Bolivian tribes where they've done like testing on these Bolivian tribes, and a lot of the individuals in the Bolivian tribes are riddled in parasites. They're riddled in parasites, yet they show no symptoms of the parasitic infection. And the big thing that I would say is because the environment allows the parasite to live in harmony with the host okay but if the environment is compromised and then you get the parasite guess what you're probably going to get a lot of symptoms associated with the parasitic infection okay but what we keep the balance right correct and what we keep on doing is we go well okay it's really important that i just get rid of the parasite first because a lot of the byproducts in the parasite you know is the irony most likely damaging the gastrointestinal lining you know so things like blastocystis hominis dentamoeba fragilis They release acetaldehyde and the acetaldehyde damages the tight junction proteins, okay, sitting at the the top of the tight junctions, the intracellular tight junctions where the epithelium is, okay. But once again, my big argument here is if I never look after the structure, okay, is there a good chance that yes, I could get rid of the parasite, yes, I could get rid of the SIBO, yes, I could get rid of the candida, but if the environment is compromised and then I get rid of those things, is there a good chance that then I just get some other type of bacteria?
0: I think we see this, we see this approach so much, not only in gut health, but also in medicine as a whole in functional medicine as well as if, from a personal training perspective, I'm neither a functional medicine practitioner or a doctor, but I am a personal trainer. And I know that symptom whack-a-mole seems to be the approach that people like taking because it seems more simple and more intuitive. If I, if I, if I, if this exercise causes me pain if i'm overhead pressing and my shoulder hurts stop overhead pressing if i am experiencing this you know if i have this particular parasite well kill the parasite and then leave the you know the environment completely destroyed and then the parasite's gone you know what i mean it's just putting a band-aid over a gaping wound for the rest of your life rather than you know actually fixing anything about it this problem seems to be have proliferated through the way that we think about our own bodies and i think again what's there's you know to be perfectly honest there's a lot of things that you said in there about specific interactions with things that i don't know as much about but i think if to if you know if a listener's standing kind of overwhelmed like oh my god i don't understand these technical terms the through line here is that the approach that we're using that each one of these things has a place in a, in a healthy environment in a healthy ecosystem and each approach has a place. There's nothing wrong with functional medicine. There's nothing wrong with antibiotics. It's just that, are you using a screw to try and hammer in a nail? 100%. Sorry, like a screw to hammer, hammer in the nail. And this is the problem that I think we see so much. And so what I'm really interested in is your, if someone wants to take action on this information, if they now understand based off what you just said, like, oh my God, I now see the error in my ways. You know what I mean? I understand that I can repair my gut environment. And a lot of the problems I think I have with lactose or something like that will kind of you know can be healed can be fixed i can be even better what are some courses of action that people can take because unfortunately this type of thinking is not mainstream with trainers and with doctors and stuff like that so what are some good courses of action that people can take to start to take charge of their own both educational
1: and then on a more practical level with you know testing and and, and medical guidance and stuff like that yeah i mean it's it's a great question i mean like like my so so my approach when I'm dealing with people, okay, is once again, you know, the analogy of the the, the ecosystem, I think it's just easy for people to absorb, okay, and when I'm dealing with that environmental issue, okay, initially what I want to do is make the environment better, so I want to plant more trees, so I want to look after the structure, Mm -hmm. okay, because if we can start to repair the structure, Okay, because once again, those little epithelium, type one collagen, connective tissue. So these are the things that you need. Like there's a soup that you need for their structure. Right. Okay, so key amino acids you need hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, arginine. Okay, you need okay. things like B6, pyridoxin. Okay, you need zinc. Okay, you, you understand like zinc for connective tissue gives like right. elasticity, okay, stretch. Okay, a lot of people think it provides like, you know, integrity and, and and tightness, okay? It's actually elasticity, okay. okay? Like, so muscles and tendons, okay? So it actually helps with things like motility in the gut, okay? You need things like copper. That makes sense, you yeah. need vitamin yeah. C, okay? Helps with the repair of collagen, okay? And you need manganese. This is like a soup, okay? So the same things that you need for your tendons and your ligaments and your cartilage and your bone, and your muscle, it's the same ingredients that you need for the gastrointestinal lining okay so the big thing that we want to do first okay is bring back the integrity to the gut lining because if i can bring back integrity to the gut lining okay it's like a big cascade effect Mm. okay if i use like the waterfall analogy if you've got a waterfall and then all of a sudden the waterfall wasn't flowing properly like what part of the waterfall would you go to to find out why it's not flowing properly you go to the top Okay, and what we need to understand the top is like the quality of the food that you're putting in your body. The middle section of the waterfall is the area that has to interact with the food. And then it's like the filing cabinet. Okay, it's taking large molecules and it's breaking down into the singular molecules, okay, that you need for the formation of other things. And that's your gastrointestinal tract. One of the most important interactions in the human body is been between the food that you consume and the gastrointestinal lining. And guess what? Then that helps you produce all these byproducts. Hormones, cytokines, interleukins, neurotransmitters, okay? But when we're addressed with that waterfall issue, we're stuffing around at the bottom of the waterfall, okay? We're going, oh, I've got this hormonal issue. I'll take this to, let's take this to, to work on that pathway. And I'm not saying I don't admire that science. I love it, okay? But the problem is, I manipulate this and something else goes out goes out over here. And then I manipulate that and then something else goes out over here. If you want to have the biggest cascade effect in the body, the two areas that you need to look at first is the quality of the food that you're putting in your body, okay, and the area that has to assimilate it. Because if that area is broken, it will completely change how you interact even with healthy food. And that's where people are getting confused because they're eating healthy, they're not interacting with it well, Okay, because if I've got, once again, if I've got something like SIBO, okay, and even if you like had some sort of probiotic, like lactobacillus, and it's got things like lactobacillus bulgaricus in it, guess what? That's going to aggravate the SIBO. It's going to make it worse. If I've got something like SIFO, and I have fermented vegetables, kombucha, okay, it's going to make the SIFO worse. And I'm not saying that these things are bad, okay, but you understand a lot of these things that we're telling people are based on you having a good environment already
0: yeah yeah it's absolutely. it's
1: it's, but it's based on perfect scenario and guess what for the high majority of westerners that perfect scenario does not exist and so what we really need to do is correct the foundations we need to we need to lay better foundations first and that's the that's the epithelium that's the connected tissue when you talk about your immunology the epithelium are one of the most important factors when it comes to immunology. You're built like antigen response, antibody response, immune response. Okay. The highest amount of immune response in the human body is taking place in areas like the epithelium in your lungs because you're breathing, you're breathing in things. You're breathing in particles, right. dust particles, allergens, yeah, okay, pollutants and chemicals. And guess what? That hits the epithelium in the lungs, and they've got to deal with that. It's not a free fall they don't just go oh you just do what do, do whatever you want okay <laughs> And then the other area is the epithelium within the gastrointestinal lining because they need to even if, even if you eat the cleanest food it creates an immune response and that's not bad I'm saying it's, it's normal okay so if, if they're inter, if, if they're interacting with so many molecules that are coming in, would we think that this integrity is vital? Okay, so what, and what I really need to communicate with people, okay, is that if this is just muscle, if it is just connective tissue, okay, I, and I think it's a consensus, okay, with physios and chiros and osteos and all, all these, you know, uh, clinical practitioners, okay, can you damage tendons and ligaments? Yes, okay, can you deteriorate bone? okay. Can you rupture and tear muscle? So can you damage your gut lining? It's just tissue. Okay? And once you deteriorate it, would that potentially impede on how you're interacting with things like food? And could that potentially impede on your ability to metabolize compounds that you would normally metabolize very efficiently? And when you're not interacting with it properly, does that have the potential for maybe these some of these molecules to sit there and ferment and then encourage bacterial issues? And could it, could it increase the inflammatory load that is taking place within the gastrointestinal line? And could that impede on even your capacity to detoxify properly? Because 25% of detoxification takes place within the gastrointestinal line. Now, yes, the liver does the main body of the work, but what I would get people to try to understand, have you ever seen anything pop out of your liver? So when it comes to elimination, it's got to come through urine, feces, obviously through your skin, but it wants to push a lot of these things out via urine and feces. It's like phase three liver detoxification. And if the elimination is not working very well, what's your body going to do? A lot of these toxins and a lot of these byproducts, it's gonna recirculate them back through your bloodstream. Okay. And that's why, like I'm just telling people, like when you do things like lemon detoxes and cleanses and all these types of things, if you haven't cle- if you haven't cleaned up and you haven't cleared up what's going on in the gastrointestinal lining, it's literally like getting a big stick, walking up to a hornet's nest, and they're not poking it with a big <laughs> stick.
0: Yeah. Uh, so rather, rather than, you know, I guess playing internet doctor with their own, you know, lemon detox or I'm going to do this juice fast or whatever it is like, what are some actionable steps that people can take to put this stuff into action to understand that, okay, we need to replant the trees. We need to make sure the structural integrity is there for the microbiome to exist and to, 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 to function properly. Are there particular tests that they can get done? Are there particular, you know, is there a particular path that people can go down? Obviously, there is yourself and you have a wealth of, of you know kind of online material as well. But you know what actionable? Because I, I really do think that this is. I mean, I've I've learned so much here already, and you know I would love to know for people listening as well. if they're like, people are experiencing certain things. They've got certain intolerances. What can
1: people do to go and find out about now, how to take this approach and put it into action? Yeah. Well, once again, it's the approach really needs to be like like if I just if I'm just relating this to the gut, repair the environment. Okay, now this like safeguard things because you like without knowing the information, you always gonna want to go more safeguard. Okay, and so we need to ask ourselves: Are prebiotics, are probiotics, are things like fermented vegetables, are they safeguard? No, because if you have certain types of bacterial issues, they can aggravate it. They can make it worse. Am I saying they're bad? No, don't shoot the messenger. I'm not saying that at all. but they're not safeguard. If I don't really know what's going on with the individual, they're not safeguard. But are there certain things that are just great for the connective tissue, okay? And that would be things like slow-cooked meats, bone broth, okay, because they've got a lot of the key amino acids that we need to actually help to repair the epithelium. The hydroxyproline, the proline, the glycine, the arginine, okay, we're getting all those key building blocks that we need for the structure of the epithelium. then And then people are gonna like go, well, that's high histamine. And when I've got the issues in the gastrointestinal lining, okay, you've got problems with histamine. And I go, but understand, I'm not trying to fix symptoms. I'm trying mm. to fix the cause of the symptoms. And if I just put someone on a low histamine diet, Is that really fixing their problem? Or once again, is it just nullifying the symptom but the problem still exists? Because when I'm looking at the food, I'm looking at what building blocks has it got that fixes the problem? I'm not looking and just go, well, it's high histamine, so I better not use it because it's gonna amplify the histamine, even though it's got all the building blocks that I need to fix the actual problem. That's the priority. Fix the problem, not to fix the symptom. If you're constantly trying to fix symptoms, okay it's like watching a dog chase its tail you're running around and you're running around in circles and you're not actually fixing anything okay so there's safeguard things you know like goat's colostrum okay it's got proline peptides immunoglobulins okay we recognize the enzymes a lot better in goat's products okay it's neglect you, know, you know a lot of these even like goat's products like goat's whey okay it's very high in cysteine very negligent in casein and lactose, yeah. Okay. That's why it's easier on the gut. But goat's colostrum, okay, for the epithelium, is like gold. Okay. Um, so there's 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 you know safeguard things like zincal carnosine, yeah, okay. But once again, like I'd also say, this can really, really depend on the individual. I don't want to like give too mm, many things. Sure. Does that make sense? Okay. For sure. But throwing a lot more things at the structure, okay? Then, also, my second prong approach would be we want to get rid of the blockages. And that would be the bacteria. Because if we don't get rid of the bacteria, they're releasing the byproducts that over time is going to deteriorate the gut lining more and obviously cause more issues from a neurological perspective, but also to your mitochondria and your cells and your DNA and your RNA. Okay, because a lot of these bacterial byproducts are the real causes behind a lot of serious ailments and diseases it's just the reality okay like lps from negative gram bacteria is linked to neurodegenerative diseases like multiple sclerosis okay so we have to get rid of the blockage okay and once we have got rid of the like the blockage we got rid of the bacteria then guess what then we repair the structure again it's a three-prong approach repair the structure get rid of the bacteria repair the structure again Okay. Now a lot of people are gonna look at that and go, that sounds like a long process. It is it is a long process. But long term, it works better. Okay, because of course the antibiotics that's shorter. Of course, just using, you know, antimicrobials and then replenishing, that's shorter. Of course, yes, this is longer. But what I'm doing is I'm repairing the environment, I'm repairing the ecosystem. And that's the goal. The goal is to repair the ecosystem. The goal is not to just get rid of the animals that have flourished in that compromised environment. That's not the goal. The goal is to repair the ecosystem. That's why I really just want people to to understand. And unfortunately, a lot of the methods that we're using to identify the problems, so Fernandez, we use such a linear approach and that is very limited, and so what I right, mean by right. this, if we did stool test, stool testing, for example, okay, and I just because most of the time what we're doing is just reading it linear, so we look at it and we go, well, I'm low bi- low in bifidobacterium, so I just take bifidobacterium, okay, I'm low in lactobacillus, I just take lactobacillus, even though potentially if I've got the SIBO and I take the lactobacillus, I make it worse, right? So and there's the same thing with things like blood markers. Because a lot of people, they look looking at the blood markers and go, well, I'm low in hemoglobin. So we'll just take iron to try and boost up the hemoglobin. Am I am I trying to fix hemoglobin or am I trying to fix the issues that cause my hemoglobin to be low? And so that, that once again, that's, that's a treating symptom scenario. Yeah. Okay. And if we keep on looking at things linear, we will just address it linear. Always. But the the key point here is to understand it's not about hemoglobin hemoglobin being being low. It's when the hemoglobin is low and this is high and that is high and this is low, that's a reflection of this problem. And that's what I've got to fix. I've got to fix the problem because if I don't fix the problem, of course the blood markers are going to be all over the place. Of Of course my microbiome ratio is going to be all over the place. I must address the problem. So when I look at blood markers, I'm looking at the correlations that allow me to identify the actual problem that is causing all the symptom-based scenarios.
0: Yeah, I think this is, and I, I recognize this in my own line of questioning what, for, what, what, what I just asked you as well, because people want simple solutions to complicated problems. And so by asking you, what can we do, we being this giant kind of lump of people, there's so, there's such individualized differences for what people need. That Something that can help one person can actually be the complete opposite of what, what another person needs. Something that can help one person after a certain amount of treatment is actually going to be the thing that fucks them up in the beginning. So I think that a problem that we face as an industry, as people that work in the health industry, as practitioners, is we're trying to paint things with broad strokes. We're trying to use nuclear bombs to solve nuanced problems. And so I think that it kind of one of my pipe dreams, I'm I'm very much more focused on, you know, my own passion is very much in movement and the body as well. But all of these things come together. And anytime you try to take that linear approach, that single, I'm only going to look at it through this lens, you're probably going to come up with equally nuanced solutions. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to look at things from as many many different angles many different perspectives using the knowledge of so many different things and so my pipe dream is is eventually you know in 20 30 years time hopefully even, even sooner we're going to be able to have more data more access for people to better data and people who are better trained to interpret that data to solve the problem not to just address the symptom and i know that you i'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on what needs to happen in order to get that education in place for people, I absolutely believe in education first. I absolutely believe in giving people complex, nuanced, you know, presentation of how things really are rather than just trying to be like, oh, it's, it's just uh, everyone just have collagen, and you'll be fine. So, and I know that you have your own um, your own blood, blood marker software
1: mm.
0: and educating people on how to read and how to interpret that. So I'd love you to speak a little bit on how you see the progression of things so that we can get people these more individualized
1: solutions that is warranted to fix individualized problems. Mm. So where it needs to start is we need to have the we need we need to have the acceptance that we need to have a far more lateral way of thinking. Right. Okay. Um and like if I give some examples around that, okay? So something I've already talked about. Let's say it's like someone's got histamine issues. Okay. Right. So they've got rashes and they've got hives and their food sensitivities and all these types of things. Okay. So The school of thought initially is that what we need to mitigate is the histamine. Okay? And and what people need to understand is that histamine is produced and broken down in the gastrointestinal tract. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah, okay? So then we go, I've got to mitigate the histamine symptoms. Okay? So we're going to use an antihistamine that works on the histamine receptors. So it actually blocks... the the individual from getting the histamine reactions. So they don't experience the reactions. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm. But the problem still exists. Okay. And then the issue with taking the antihistamine, okay, is that the antihistamine actually blocks a particular enzyme. It actually depletes it. And that enzyme is called DAO, diamine oxidase. I'm not going to test people at the end of this, okay? Uh, <laughs> diamine ox- I'm, going a, I'm going to put an exam at the end of the, <laughs> the podcast show notes. But diamine oxidase helps you break down excess amounts of histamine within the gut. So it's what we produce to deal with excess amounts of histamine. We take the right. antihistamine and the antihistamine basically depletes our body's natural mechanism to deal with excess amounts of histamine. Okay? And then over time, the more antihistamines we take, okay, the more we're depleting the diamine oxidase. So our ability to break down the excess amounts of histamine in the gut over time gets less and less and less, and we become more and more dependent on the antihistamines. So each season, we end up taking more antihistamines. So my major point here, okay, by utilizing something to mitigate the symptom of the problem Because most likely, the excess amounts of histamine is coming from things like hyperpermeability. So widening of the intracellular Mm -hmm. type junctions in between the epithelium. So there's more widening there. And that's basically triggering more antibody and antigen response. So more trigger mechanisms, okay, cell activation and mediator response. And that's histamine. And that's what's causing that. Or, you know, complications, other gastrointestinal complications like SIBO because one of the byproducts from SIBO is more histamine, okay? Right. And so then what we're trying to do is we're trying to deal with the histamine, but the real thing we need to deal with here is the hyperpermeability and the SIBO. That's what we need to deal with here. That's the problem, okay? And by actually utilizing something to mitigate the symptom, we've actually compromised our ability to deal with, with the histamine naturally. And then it will get to a point where even the antihistamines don't really work very effectively. And we're we're having to take more Mm -hmm. and more and more. And what we're essentially doing is depleting the enzyme that actually helps us to break down the excess amounts of histamine. And so the histamine reactions over time, okay, just get worse and worse and worse. Okay, so so the point that I want to sort of get across here okay, is that the mechanisms that we're using actually make the actual problems worse. Right. They make it worse, okay? You know, like you, you, if you've got like stomach acid issues and then you take things like protein pump inhibitors, okay, you know, things to deal with like gastric acid and GERD and all these types of things, okay? And if the problem is something like H. pylori, which I've already mentioned, like helicobacter overgrowth in the stomach lining, And the reason that you've got the H. pylori is because you don't release sufficient amounts of hydrochloric acid because hydrochloric acid is antimicrobial, so it stops the bacteria proliferating the stomach lining. And if I take something that nullifies the hydrochloric acid, would that make the bacterial issue even worse? It makes it even worse. And once again, it might be nullifying the symptom, but it's actually making the problem even worse. Okay, and, that, yeah. and, and and that's what I'm trying to get people to, to see, okay, is that no, what we've got to fix here is not the symptoms, we've got to fix the issues that are causing the symptoms and if we do that, we will alleviate the symptoms. We will get rid of the symptoms, okay? And so, when I'm looking at blood markers, once again, I have developed like it's a blood software, okay? It's got my correlations, and when 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 you put in like your blood markers, okay, and and these correlations will identify something like SIBO, they will identify hyperpermeability, they will identify severe intestinal permeability, they will identify H. pylori, okay? And then by identifying what the actual problem is, we can start to really deal with that problem, get rid of it, and alleviate the symptoms.
0: That's a, that's absolutely huge. And uh, I think I, I really do believe that an approach like that is the only way forward is just for health professionals to be better educated about these types of approaches and better have, have better tools to understand and use them. Because I think and, and I'd, I'd like to kind of switch gears a bit as well, because I think one of the things that strikes me the most about listening to you speak, and I've heard you on many different podcasts and, and during this one as well, is you're so passionate for what you do, but you also have such a deep trove of knowledge that didn't get there overnight. You know what I mean? You've got very, very, um, a very uncanny ability to store large amounts of data. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about your learning approach and your career development and kind of how you got to the place that you you are now. When you're going through this material, when you're studying, when you're reading through medical papers and when you're absorbing all of these different bits of information from so many different fields, are there any techniques that you consciously use to process this much data? Or is this kind of a passion that you've always had that just you've been able to store a large amounts of things? I'd love to talk to you a bit about how you go about mm. developing all this information.
1: A lot of people ask me this and, you know, some people just go, are oh, you've just got a natural ability to retain a mm. lot of information and do you have a photograph? Photographic memory, I've right. been asked that right. before. You know, Some people asked if I've been on the spectrum. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think some, someone commented once uh, You know, after a seminar, they thought I had Asperger's. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but one thing I want to um, tell the viewers is I actually have not always had an amazing ability to retain information. And actually, it's not something that naturally came, uh, came to me. You know, I wouldn't say like I was amazingly gifted at school, okay? okay. I didn't always have a, a great ability to retain information. But the one thing that really actually helped with it, like, you know, my, my capacity to, to learn, my capacity to absorb information was when I actually got rid of my own blockages, okay? And so what I mean by that, is obviously I had my own gastrointestinal issues. Right. So I had severe intestinal permeability. You know, there was a stage where I was just riddled in things like negative gram bacteria, okay? And once I actually removed those blockages and I actually started to heal my gut lining and I healed my epithelium, then all of a sudden my ability to retain information was amplified. Is what people need to understand. Like once again, I'm not saying I'm not saying that the gut is the mecca of everything. Sure, I'm not saying that. It's pretty close though. <laughs> it's pretty close. Okay. Yeah, uh, sure. and, I, and I basically say to people is that there's this key relationship between the gut and the brain, and maybe potentially have we got it a little bit wrong of what that relationship is. Okay. And I would say that what is this relationship between the gut and the brain? If I simplify it, okay, because it is complex, okay, but if I simplify it and I say, what is your brain dependent on the gut for? Okay, and your brain is dependent on the gut to enable it to assimilate the singular molecules that it needs for the building blocks for neurotransmitters. That's pretty important. That's your mood, that's mm-hmm. your behavior, that's your, your your ability to retain information, that short-term to long-term memory conversion, okay? Like these, you know, these are key fundamental, you know, aspects of how we think and how we process information and how we treat other people, okay? And that's what your brain is dependent on the gut to do, okay? And then people go, well, what is the what is the gut dependent on the brain for? don't stress it out that's what the right. that's what your gut wants f- from the brain okay because when you when when we've we've got so much going on here emotional trauma childhood trauma psychological trauma okay negative emotions like fear and anger and sadness okay the area that bears the brunt of this in the human body more than more than other areas is the gastrointestinal lining Okay, and when you start to compromise the, you know, the epithelium, okay, and key protein compounds like secretive IgA, which is like your immunology, your microbiome, okay, then this starts to affect the brain, okay, and you start to affect the brain, and you can't make good. You you lose the capacity for, for good um, decision processes, for 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 stabilizing mood, okay the more that we're affecting the brain, the more that then affects the gastrointestinal tract. And more deterioration in the gastrointestinal tract, more deterioration of those epithelium, more compromisation of the microbiome, more opportunistic bacteria, and that's going to lead to disease. That's fascinating. And
0: I'm starting to really see the, the logic behind all of the different interventions that you use as a part of your holistic practice to, I guess, repair the epithelium to make sure that we're at an at optimal level of health because you mentioned the epithelium in the lungs before. I'm kind of connecting the dots now and seeing that that's why you lean on breath work sometimes to ensure, ensure that people aren't chest breathing, that they're getting a good amount of oxygen in and that the epithelium there is functioning well. There's also stuff like strength training that you use and, you know, in order to make sure that the body is in peak in physical shape as well. And also stress management, lifestyle interventions to all in order to make sure that in both directions, the gut is feeding, making sure that the brain is operating correctly and that the brain is not overstressing the gut. So I'm starting to connect the dots with how you use all of those different things in order to make sure that all of these, the problems are being dealt with on a fundamental level. And I'd love to ask you about your own training as well. What are the practices you lean most heavily on in your own life that you can't do without in order to keep yourself fun- functioning the way that you want to? To keep yourself with that mental clarity, that optimum kind of ability to process information, all of those things.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure people are getting the the general idea that um, obviously making sure that the gut is looked after is is, is a mm-hmm. huge thing for me personally. So obviously, mm-hmm. that's you know that's what I'm helping people with. I do like gut mm-hmm. health journeys, I mean, because yeah. it's just like I, I do fundamentally think that that's where a lot of people need to start, okay? Uh, and I do also, and I'm not taking away from, you know, techniques and methods that we use to to obviously deal with what's going on in the brain from a sure. psychology perspective and so forth, but it's very, very hard to tap into the brain when it's being so negatively affected by what's going on in the gastrointestinal line. Right, right. right. I'd say, it's, you know, it's like urinating in a hurricane. Yeah, you're not going to get very far. Yeah, okay. And that's the thing, like, you know, we, we need to address both. I'm not saying only sure. address the gut because you've got to address what's going yep. on here. Right. Okay. Um, and so doing, like, doing like reboots for the gut, this is something I that I do. So i right. structured what's called a leaky gut protocol, okay, it is mm-hmm. like a reboot of the gut. And, you know, because a lot of people, once again, when they are doing sort of like maybe... Gut health challenges and so forth. I do tend to find it's maybe based around a lot of like plant matter and fermented vegetables. And for me, mm-hmm. that's like Russian roulette. Yeah, okay? sure. Where my, like, I have designed it's called the Gut Repair. It's like I um, I don't like saying ebook, okay, because it's really just like a, like a program. Okay. And that yeah. program is also complemented with the type of training that you need to do whilst you're trying to repair the gut lining. Because I'm telling you, a lot of people are doing, because training is just a stress that's all it is okay yeah. and if you've got certain types of gastrointestinal issues then certain types of you know training systems and energy systems may actually make your gastrointestinal problems even worse and actually create even more problems people really need to understand mm-hmm. that yeah, okay and so that is complemented with like like a training regime it comes with a nutrition outline okay and the, the big emphasis that I would say that it's really designed around repairing and healing the structure. Okay. It's yes, you know, you know, the bacteria and potential like, you know, parasites and all these types of things, but without me looking at blood, blood testing, without me getting into the exacts, okay, I'm not really going to put the the big emphasis behind the, the parasites and the, and the opportunistic bacteria because I don't, I need the information. So we don't really have the information and we want to make the biggest inroads into improving that really a lot of it's got to be uh, geared towards the structure. Okay, right. I'll, I'll
0: leave. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that for that particular book because I think it's that's a great tool if someone wants to get more into this. And there's a process of self diagnosis in there and in a, some kind of method of individualization rather than playing Russian roulette with probiotics and fermented whatever in kombucha. You know, I think that that's really that's really good. What other what other things do you lean on heavily in your own personal practice? Yeah.
1: So, so so I'm huge on ice therapy. Okay, like ice therapy. Look, if I had to pick one tool, and this is probably why I brought it up, one tool that I think just has the most multifaceted benefit within the body, it would be ice therapy. I know it's really, really hard for 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 people to comprehend that, and then sometimes that's what people. That's why people might go, "Well, I'm going to go do cryotherapy," just so you understand that cryotherapy air conducts completely differently to water. Okay, so a lot, of the oh, be- like a lot of the benefits that I'm going to talk about here, you're not necessarily going to get required therapy. I'm not having a go at it, but if we're just talking about more multifacet, going to help with uh, a whole array of different mechanisms within the body, ice therapy is amazing. Okay, helps with a particular protein. It's called uh, PGC number one. And the whole thing with PGC number one helps with things like mitochondrial density. So it helps with the cellular health. Okay, that's one aspect, okay? It also helps to bring down the inflammatory load. Okay, I'm not saying inflammation is bad because inflammation is just your body's response to a particular stimuli, but we can have too much inflammation, there's too much inflammatory load. The good thing about jumping in the ice, okay, is that it brings down the pro-inflammatory activity, means you don't have to produce so many anti-inflammatory medias to combat that, which means you just bring down the inflammatory load. Okay, so just bringing down the inflammatory load, I mean, ice therapy ticks that box to actually help people who've got like, you know, leptin resistance, insulin resistance, okay, so blood sugar management dysregulation, okay, so they've got like sluggish metabolism. Now, yes, we can use nutrition, we can use things like training. I'm not taking away from that, okay, but you understand if I stick you in ice, okay, you understand that your body has no other option but to generate heat. Okay, it has to generate heat. So it's going to take a sluggish metabolism, okay? The body's going to go, oh my God, we have to generate heat, okay? And it's going to snap it out of that, okay? You, do, you want to talk about things like weight loss, okay? So just understand when you're getting an ice, okay, you're going to start to get higher amounts of bat, brown adipose tissue, Okay? And so a lot lot of brown adipose tissue we have around areas where we've got high metabolic activity around the thyroid, around the midline, so around things like the liver and the kidneys and the adrenal glands, okay? And what we need to understand is that BAT, brown adipose tissue, is higher in mitochondria. You have a particular protein molecule called UPC number one, okay, and that allows you to take fats and sugars and convert it into heat. So thermogenesis, like your thermostat, Okay. And what we need to understand, they've actually done testing and they understand that people who are obese, people who are overweight, have lower levels of that particular protein. That uncoupling protein is lower in people who are obese and overweight. Okay? And doing something like ice therapy, you have a higher amount of UPC number one. So, so what does
0: that look like for, as far as a protocol goes, what would you recommend if someone wants to kind of try this out for themselves and get some of these benefits you're talking well, about?
1: Well, once again, it, it really depends on the, on the individual, you know, like if it was performance, if it was to help with an athlete. Okay. A lot of the time, uh, you know, I really believe we're using it in the wrong way. Okay. Because what we would use is like ice therapy after they, after they train or after they, you know, uh, engage in their particular sport or whatever that might be. And I'm not saying that's not beneficial, okay, but it actually would be more beneficial to use pre, okay? Now, why? Oh, because okay. the one thing that's going to stop an athlete, if I'm dealing with an athlete, the one thing that's going to stop them performing on the day is inflammation, too much inflammatory load. So one of the, what's one of the quickest ways that I can bring down that inflammatory load? Ice therapy. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about like doing an ice bath and then you go play your sport straight away, okay? Of course, you've got to warm up. You've got to get blood flow and circulation, okay? But potentially, like getting in the ice therapy can reduce that inflammatory load for up to six hours, okay? And so if I'm, if I'm starting with less inflammatory load within the body, what do you think my performance output is going to be like when I'm performing that sport? So once again, if I was dealing with athletes, I'd be using it more around that. That's that sort of time frame. Okay. If I was dealing with people who are immunocompromised, you know, autoimmune conditions, okay, I would say that a higher frequency is probably required. Okay. They may actually need more longer time frames. Okay. So, yes, I can look at the research and say a lot of the research more from sw- like Swedish research and through Russia, because obviously they're very, very big on cold therapy and ice therapy. There's a reason they're so, they're, they're, they're so, pro sort of like ice therapy and cold therapy in those countries okay and that research might be based on you doing you know anywhere from zero to five degrees from one to five minutes but that doesn't mean long duration ice therapy is not also extremely bene- beneficial from an adaptation perspective and so forth and you've got to understand who's one of the most researched individuals when it comes to ice therapy it's Wim Hof Okay, and do you think when Wim Hof has done a lot of long duration like ice therapy? So it's not to say that it's not beneficial. I do like a lot of the people that I deal with to start to do long duration ice therapy. But I'm not going to take a beginner who's never done it before and then sure. stick them in an ice bar for twenty minutes. Okay, yeah. you know, as a beginner, we're probably only going to start off. You know, maybe like three minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. and then getting them to do, especially with their immunocompromised, they've got autoimmune conditions, getting them to do that maybe like three times over the week or maybe a good place to start is cold showers. But a lot of the things I'm talking about, like helping with things like the lymphatic system, helping with like areas like the brain, like norepinephrine, which helps with focus and concentration, you know, even things like testosterone, increasing that, uh, helping to boost up things like your lymphocytes and your monocytes and your neutrophils, so white blood cells. A lot of this beneficial aspect comes from quite low temperature ice therapy. Right. Okay. So I'm not saying that but you know, I'm not dismissing cold showers and they're a great place to start for someone who's never done it before. Okay. But making the transition to quite cold temperature ice therapy is where we really need to get to. Hmm. Okay. Because as I said, a lot of the benefits that I'm talking about will people just think I'm getting all that from cold showers and go. No, we really need to we really need to do like proper ice baths. Really drop it under about that five degree um temperature range but once again yeah, absolutely. It's, re- it's really going to depend on the individual there might be certain instances where in that moment in time that maybe ice therapy is not going to be the the most beneficial thing for that particular individual okay sure. but once again if i can get the person you know to a, a much better you know foundation yeah okay a much better uh, place then utilizing ice therapy as a preventative measure long term of course, it's one of the best tools that I use. Okay,
0: absolutely, and I think I'm I'm, I'm glad you gave a couple of specifics there because I think that's good to kind of contrast the athlete and the immunocompromised and how you might change the frequency or the intensity depending on if you're a beginner or you're someone who's been doing it for a while. But I think the unfortunate answer with so many of these different things is it does depend. It is so individualized. It's and short of having access to very, very high quality and sometimes expensive medical care or particularly, you know, like one-on-one individualized coaching and stuff like that. I think that the only substitute in the meantime is to take charge of your own learning. And I think a massive part of that is putting yourself in the right situations to be mentored by the right people, finding the right sources of information that, and not the right, but finding sources of information that, at least think about things from a nuanced approach that use that lateral thinking that you're talking about. And I think that's one thing I've seen you do. You mentioned Charles Poliquin before, who's, you know, for he's a polarizing individual, um, but has so many amazing things to say and is a very successful coach in himself. He's trained Olympic athletes, I think, 24 gold medalists in about 20 different sports. And that's just one of them. I mean, you mentioned Wim Hof as well. I know that you've worked under Ido Portal, Reed Davis of Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. And I'd love to kind of ask you. You worked a lot of these people as well before everyone knew about them or when they were kind of really just starting to make big waves and stuff like that. So I'd love to ask you how you went about identifying the people that you wanted to learn
1: from, how you sought those individuals out and how you made that connection with them. I would say that because it's a great, it's a great question and I, I think what people need to understand is like we need to identify who are the people that are really getting the best results with individuals Mm -hmm. okay because you know people might say that you know we're progressing with health but do we really see instances of autoimmune disease coming down or are they increasing so if I look at that I would not say that's a successful system yeah okay I'm I'm not like there's a lot of amazing things about the medical system so I want I want people to understand that, okay. But in that realms, statistically, it doesn't look like things are improving, and if the instances are increasing, it means it's getting worse. And so whatever we're using to try and prevent those problems and fix them is not working. Hmm. And when something's not working, okay, it's time to use a different approach. And when you're when you're trying to understand that. You go and find the people that are using a different approach, taking the learnings that they've learned of what does not work. Mm-hmm. You you, some, you need to learn what doesn't work to understand what does work. Yeah. So it doesn't mean it didn't serve a purpose. okay? And the people who are ultimately with the people that they deal with are getting the best results and the best outcomes for the individuals that they're dealing with. And 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 if, and, if, and if if that's not happening, like if you if if you're if you're dealing with people that aren't really getting the best outcomes with the individuals that they're dealing with, you need to move on.
0: Yeah, I think that, that's a great litmus test, and I think it can. It's there's a tendency to put people up on pedestals and to idolize people who are at the forefront of their industry, and then sometimes. You know people say like you know never meet your idols or something like that you know if you find out something about a person that you've you've looked to for all of the all of the answers and then you find out that maybe it comes out they were wrong about one or two things and then people are like oh f- well fuck you know there's there's that that's gone they're they're dead you know my idol is fallen from grace and stuff like that but i think like you just said finding out what doesn't work or maybe what someone else was wrong about or going and finding out that maybe this person thinks that, but I actually don't agree because of what I've learned from over here. I think that is the learning process. 100%. And so to continue to seek those people out and, and find all the different way is, and maybe what they're doing in one aspect is great, but they've gone too far down that rabbit hole. Again, that's not a lost expedition. Yeah. You can still go and say, hey, maybe they believe some pretty kooky shit about that, but here's that nugget that I took away from uh, that. And so I think that's-
1: And it, it's, yeah. just, it's just so pivotal that people are able to learn from their mistakes. Yeah. it's so pivotal like 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 I don't necessarily want to be surrounded by people who are just going well this 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 is what I've learned this is the only way of doing it I don't want to be surrounded by those people that's just me yeah I don't want to be surrounded by that people because you're going to be very limited in actually able actually being able to help people yeah because you're not willing to accept when you make mistakes you're not willing to grow you're not willing to change. Okay, and we're dealing with the human body, like like some of the things that I might preach today, I'm willing to in a year's time, if if my perception changes on it, and I've, I'm and I, and I look at the evidence, and I look at the data, and then go, you know what, what I was preaching here, that's not right, hundred percent, I'm willing to put my hand up and say, that, that approach is not relevant now. So important. Okay, and and. Yeah, I, I think sometimes in society we look at it as like a, a sign of weakness when people mm. put up their hand and say that they've made mistakes. Okay, but actually, it's a it's a true sign of strength.
0: And I think if any one person had all of the answers completely right, then we wouldn't have all well, this, well, like, it's, problems, it's, it's just like
1: yeah. in life. Okay, you learn the most from your mistakes. Yeah, like and just to understand, like coming up with like a lot of the programs and you know. Um, like the, the blood the blood market correlations and the blood blood software? Do you think that I could have created those things without making mistakes? Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible, okay? But I've always been willing to put up my hand and say, I made a mistake there. That wasn't the right decision, okay? But also I, I, I've learned from that information. I can actually use it to, to actually create a better structure and a better system.
0: Dave, I think this has brought us full circle to kind of way we started about learning from you know the, the, the most uncomfortable experiences and putting yourself in those places where you're, you're experiencing that discomfort, that overwhelm and then learning from those experiences and those actually being the most valuable. I think that's a beautiful place to, to leave it off. And I'd love, I want to be respectful of your time as well. And I, this is, I've learned so much in this conversation that thank you. But I, um, I want to leave you with one last question that I like to ask a lot, of my, a lot of my guests. And that is, what is the question? Sorry, what is the lesson that it's taken you the longest to learn?
1: there's an analogy it's called the the feather uh brick truck analogy yeah. okay and the feather brick truck analogy is that a lot of time in life we're getting these little feathers okay and they're like literal reminders that maybe the path that we're we're walking is not the right path okay and that that might come up in like some little small health ailment maybe it's an injury maybe it's uh you you're, you're getting rashes all the time okay and then now and then in life when we get the we get the brick. Okay, and the brick is just something a little bit bigger. Okay? And I think like all these things, they're like little messages to tell us that we're not we're not we're not really walking the right path and we're not really doing the right things. I think con- like everyone is constantly getting these throughout their life, constantly. Okay? And then the less that you listen to the or or like analyze the feather and analyze the brick, then at some point you're going to get the truck, okay? And when you get the truck, okay, I think it's the big wake-up call. And so either you're going to get up and you're going to change your path or you're going to continue down the same path and at some point you're going to get another truck. And this time you might not get back up, okay? And so the big thing that for a long, long time, I never listened to the feather the feathers and the brick. Okay. And then eventually I got hit by the truck. Okay. And rather than just get back up and continue down the same path and get hit by another truck, I got up and I changed direction. And that took me a long time for me to realize that. Okay. But I, I also think I took as long as I required. Yeah. Some people it might be shorter and some people it might be longer and for some people it might not be at all. Okay, but it's a, it's it's our capacity. So you understand like all those feathers and all those bricks and that truck, I feel so blessed, so blessed to have every single one of those because yeah. without it, I didn't have the capacity to learn. Man, that's a beautiful answer. And I think the
0: onus is on all of us to to make sure that we, you know, try and take the lessons from the feathers and the bricks that are coming and maybe the trucks that have already happened and also be grateful for for them and for the lessons that they've given us. So I think it's a great place to leave the podcast, man. And if people want to go and find out, if people have been fascinated by what you've been saying today, which I'm sure they have been, you mentioned the, the you mentioned the book, that the um the ebook that people can go and check out. Is there anything else places that you direct people? Uh, projects you got coming up that you want to share with people?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, you know, I'm pretty heavy on Instagram nowadays. I wouldn't say yep. that social media is my favorite, okay? But um, look, I do love just helping people. So, I mean, people can follow me on Instagram. Um, so, what's that, your handle there? So it's uh, dave.o.brian. So, um, I'm very grateful if, if people want to follow my message. I am in the process of uh, finishing my book. It's called Untapped. Um, It's been a work in progress, but almost there. Um, I have developed a a vegan and vegetarian ebook. even though I'm a strong animal protein advocate, okay, but I want to make sure that people, if they're making that choice, that they, they do it properly, they get the right support. I've just got a new one that I'm bringing out. It's called Nutrition Foundations, which is actually a program that I've sort of developed on the major things that I've sort of uh, found that come out in blood markers, okay, and obviously uh, there's the blood's journey. It's like uh, blood chemistry analysis and the blood software that I've created. So there's a there's a lot of things I've created, okay. Um, but you know, if, if if anyone wants to embark on you know a gut gut health journey or blood chemistry, um, I can guarantee you it's. Uh, <laughs> It's just looking at the body in a completely different way, and it's just for a lot of people, it's just a, it's just a game changer. I'm not, I'm definitely not saying I've got the answers for everything, okay, but looking at it in a different way and like a multifaceted way, and and getting away from this linear approach is where people need to start to go. Well, Dave, this
0: podcast has been a game changer for me, man. I've, I've learned so much from this and it's been it's been a great chat. So I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming. I'll leave all of that uh, noted down in the show notes so people can browse through and go as deep as they want to. And bro, thanks for doing this. I'd love to, love to do it again.
1: Ah, uh, for sure. Fernandez, like it's my honor to uh, to chat to you. Thanks for, I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Cut. That's a wrap, folks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you got a lot out of this one and I hope you took notes for your sake because goddamn, there's a lot in there. If you want to go deeper and find out more about what Dave does, potentially work with him, you can head over to DaveObrien.com.au. That's Dave O'Brien with an E, so B-R-I-E-N.com.au. He's got all his offerings over there, including his online consultations, online mentoring, and all those nutrition guides and gut journey books um, that you can get over at the shop. So head over there. And as always, guys, if you're interested in building strength and muscle by learning to do cool shit with your body and fun bodyweight skills, then you can hit me up about my skill-based strength coaching program over at whitebelt.com, W-H-Y-T-B-E-L-T.com slash train. Submit an application for one-to-one online coaching over there. Much love, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll catch you in the next one.